0: Welcome everyone to the next episode of our second season of People Keeping It Sacred, highlighting people keeping it sacred in the world. I'm Rabbi Heather Miller, founder of Keeping It Sacred, and I'm thrilled to introduce you to today's guest, Catherine Jenkins-John. Catherine Jenkins-John is a mother, teacher, and anti-racist educator. She enjoys music, dance, Afroflow yoga, poetry, languages and being outside of the United States, especially in Haiti and Cameroon. In addition to organizing and educating to dismantle white supremacy in educational and religious spaces, she's also a member of Societe Nago, a Vodouian society based in Jacmel, Haiti, and Boston. I know her as a mover, activist, and organizer working toward justice every day. And I was so fortunate to be at Wellesley College with her for a couple of years and both getting our degrees as Africana Studies majors. Um, I was also then able to benefit from the incredible work she did helping to found the Wellesley Racial Justice Initiative which I'm so excited to discuss today among other topics. Welcome Catherine.
1: All right. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Rabbi Heather Miller. I'm humbled by the intro.
0: Me <laughs> before becoming a rabbi. It's amazing.
1: <laughs> I saw it though. I saw it was coming. You did. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I felt it. I felt it. Wow. It's cool. And I'm glad. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're in the space. We need. We need more cool. You know, rabbis and other religious leaders. So glad you're there.
0: Thank you so much. Well, that's a great place to start, actually, because I know that you've done a lot of great organizing work in the Unitarian Universalist community, a lot of anti-racist work. But I'll start
1: off with a clarification around language, which I think is a great entry point into understanding um, the limitations of Unitarian Universalist sort of commitment to, to um grappling with racism and white supremacy, which i to 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 the credit of Unitarian Universalists and the association, there is a commitment there, which I think is a great start that not doesn't exist in every um religious or spiritual community. Um, but it's around this l- piece of language, right? Um, a lot of people in the congregation that I belong to would, and probably at the association level would take exception with the use of the word church um. Mm-hmm in the spirit of wanting to be inclusive and the fact that it's not it's not in fact a christian uh religion although it has its it definitely has a lot of its roots in christianity and to me that the 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 sort of like fierce insistence on not using the word church and yet not um in not yet fully sort of having done the work of interrogating how in so many fundamental ways do we still operate like a church right we're still sitting in those you know militaristic rows with like one leader at the front (laughs) you know what i mean giving the spiritual (laughs) orders (laughs) um we're still mostly sitting down you know what i mean um uh we're, you know, a lot of a lot of the music still sounds like, you know, uh, Protestantish, uh, you know, hymns and such. So I think that. Yeah, exactly. And when you when you sort of extrapolate back and look at the history of Christianity in Europe and how that was so tied up, how Christianization was so embedded with like the, the colonization the colonization of Europe by Europeans prior to Europeans going out and colonizing the rest of the world and how it, it was used as a tool to sort of um enforce um to, to to bring about a whole value shift away from um you know traditional spiritualities which in a lot of ways um you know what we would now call pagan you know spiritual traditions or pagan religions, which in many ways resemble a lot of what we think of now as like Afrocentric or indigenous um, religious traditions or spiritual traditions. So I, I think that's that's very interesting. And I'll give a shout out to what I'm reading recently um, called Witches, Witch Hunting, and Women by Italian author Silvia Federici. And she makes a great point that um, when you look at witch hunts throughout history, and the, and I say throughout history because it didn't stop in the fifteenth or eighteenth centuries in Europe, mm-hmm. or you know in the in in a lot of people are aware of like the Salem witch hunts in the sixteen hundreds in colonial U.S. Um, there's witch hunts going on today in some um, what we would call developing parts of the world, and the, the commonality in all of them is that. They're sort of at the crossroads of these complex socio-political, economic developments, where like, it, values are shifting away from um, communalism, relationship with the land, towards capitalism and and patriarchy, um, and. So yeah all of that is tied up i feel like in 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 unitarian universalism and and a tradition that has a lot of potential but also has so much deep work that that still has yet to be done.
0: It's so amazing. Yeah, i was wondering about like some of the resistance you've gotten to that because i think you know in the jewish tradition we're also kind of going through and starting to interrogate our own traditions and a lot of us have been doing this for a lot a long time, but it's increasingly there's a lot more awareness of it now, um, and you know, to try to um, to try to to allow people to see what might be unseen, right? Like, um, you know, and my and my wife is uh, is a Filipina, right? So she she like i i started being aware of it through her and through her experiences right like people saying you know oh do you know how to read hebrew she's like i'm jewish like why wouldn't i or like you know i'm married to a rabbi <laughs> like like do you know how many services i've been to like of course i know what a book is i know what the siddur is i know what you know these things are you know people asking her you know when did she convert just assuming that yes she did but you know that you don't need to ask people that. It's just another way to feel like they're outsider or different, right? Um, there's a huge movement also talking about, you know, security. There's so much security around synagogues right now because of the the heightened awareness of anti-Semitism and, and physical violence toward Jews and, and Jewish buildings and things. Um, and it's been, you know, only increasing in the last you know five years especially. And, um, you know, we have armed guards at the front door, you know, to recognize, like, what does that mean? Like, who's being searched? Who's being questioned? Who's being asked? Like, oh, have you been here before? Are you sure? You know, what program are you here for? Right. But only asking people of color, Jews of color. Um, And, and so there's like a, a whole education. I think a lot of normative Jews, like white Jews have really not seen that these things happen and the understood the frequency with which they happen and um and it's really um it's really hard to get people to kind of think about themselves and like what have i done it's funny because we're having a conversation right now and it's the month of elul and it's a time of great internal introspection Mm and it's one it's hard enough to get yourself to like introspect and be like where have i missed the mark what <laughs> have i done wrong right but then it's a whole other thing to get an entire institution and then after you get that one institution to get the whole movement to recognize and to think about and to really dedicate resources to correcting those wrongs is a big, big undertaking. So I was wondering like what kinds of successes you've had in doing some of that work with the hopes that, you know, we in the Jewish community can also learn from 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 your successes.
1: I mean, I think it's, it's a great question. I don't know how successful specifically I've been yet in, um, in, in Unitarian Universalism, I definitely feel much more uh, excited uh, and and you know solidly successful in terms of what's happened in WRJI um, and with the white alum anti-racist training, which we'll, I know we'll get to that later. But just your, I'm I was very provoked by your raising the the issue of security, and it reminded me of this memory. Um, so you know, as you know, my kids are my two sons, who are now 19 and 16. Wow, they're already are yeah are both um, black in the in the you know in the sort of one drop definition of the United States racial categorization, but biracial technically. And um, um, we've always lived in sort of like the Dorchester Roxbury. Border. We've moved a lot around a lot in Boston, um, but always in a sort of like two-mile radius um in Roxbury or right on the other side of the Dorchester line. And um there's 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 a lot of diversity within Dorchester specifically. You have some like enclaves that are almost like solely white and very wealthy and then most of it is much more racially diverse and predominantly people of color um a lot of diversity with within the black community you know haitian cape verdian um african-american various west indian and other african folks um and a large vietnamese community as well but we we've always been in communities that are predominantly, uh, neighborhoods that are predominantly black and sort of like literally on the other side of the tracks from the, the this congregation and where a lot of the other members of the congregation who are white live. Um, and the, 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 the congregation itself, First Parish Dorchester, is on like a little hill in a neighborhood that is predominantly Cape Verdean So it's a place where we have a lot of attachments. And I just remember there being an event at First Parish at this Unitarian Universalist congregation um, one evening earlier on when I was a, I would say a newer member and my kids were still little and they were playing outside. I'm very much like a free range parent. So I was very comfortable with that. And again, a neighborhood where my kids, you know have a lot of friends and stuff like that. And I have friends. And the pastor at the time, um, who also lived in the neighborhood, you know, got very concerned and said something to my son about it being, you know, be be, be careful and it being unsafe. And um, to be fair, I think my son had like gone off in a mood by himself. So it was coming from a good place. But, you know, I I paused him there and I was like, you know, this is a community that we're very comfortable in. We don't feel unsafe here. Um, And I just think, you know, in a lot sort of like this, a longer historical arc, just thinking about how unsafe the presence of the founders of that congregation, like how unsafe it was for (laughs) the indigenous people, there I think the the Ponkapog band of the um the Ponkapog and the the um the Massachusetts like uh groups like that this was this was hugely unsafe and unsettling for them and how the legacy of of um you know governance in this sort of like Uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde split between like what is espoused Mm. through religion as values and then what is enacted by the same people espousing those religions in terms of their policies and and economic practices. Like it's the legacy of that that has created these unsafe conditions, right? Uh, (laughs) No one was toting guns around, you know, when those folks landed um and certainly the communities historically that people came from didn't have this un- they didn't bring this unsafety with them right <laughs> so um yeah that's i think it's 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 important to to keep those things in mind and i always you know in in raising my kids, I've tried to give them like that long vision and, and critical thinking around words that are used so casually in our media and our education. Mm-hmm. Um, I would talk about, you know, the needs of like, maybe the, like the rest of the community outside of the church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of their like cultural practices. And like music was a big thing for me. I'm always like, militating for, (laughs) um, for more, I would say embodied and, and, and spirit centered music. And um, I get I guess terminology that I started to use was like Afro centric music as well. Um, But for so in the beginning, I was talking about like, them, right? These, like, either folks who were like, in the minority in our congregation and or people who were outside who are in the community but not coming to this congregation and it was always sort of a discussion how do we get people to come yeah and then after a while i was like this shit isn't working for me like i need for <laughs> me to feel good and for me to feel right and for me to feel like this is a place where i can truly get down like fully yeah. you know, my whole self.
0: Right, your subconscious self.
1: Your yeah, not just like this part of me that has like a Wellesley degree and like can talk about fancy books, like, no, like the whole me. Right. At a certain point, I shifted how I was talking about these things yeah. because upon self-reflection, I was like, this isn't just about, again, some some charitable thinking around making this a more welcoming space for others. This is about for me to bring my whole self and to feel fully nurtured in the space, which I don't. I don't feel fully <laughs> nurtured in this space, which is how I know the work's not done yet.
0: Right.
1: It's one way. I, I need all of these other things, right? I need our spirituality to be embodied. I need this more diverse, um, you know, soul-rooted music, Afrocentric, whatever label you want to slap on it. Um, you know, something where we're not just like, stuck to the notes on the page but where we're we're letting the spirit really move us
0: and Um, participating and and also just a place where everyone can kind of self-actualize it like you know in an equitable way right that you know that you know it's not just this you know this kid is the one who's going to be the church singer but it could be that kid too and like everyone can be seen leader in the community and everyone can bring the best of their own strengths not equally because not everyone is a singer right but
1: yeah
0: has a chance to be their their fullest selves so um, yeah
1: well I know like a lot of um Afrocentric scholars and activists um including I think the person I've heard it say most recently is Dr. Greg Carr who's another I know in the white alum anti-racist training. We definitely um, look at some of his great stuff, him and Karen Hunter. And he talks, he he talks about the phrase, everybody eats, right? What humanity is supposed to be and was for most of us prior to, you know, the, the rise of um, capitalism and patriarchy and white supremacy and, you know, imperialism and such. But I also like to think of not just everybody eats, but everybody sings as another sign of like, when things are going right, everybody sings, you know what I mean?
0: I always think think of like everybody thrives, right? Like, yeah. No, there, there. um, I did this other anti-racist training with SVP and Dr. Malina Abdullah, who's also one of my guests on People Keeping It Sacred, season two. Um, She talked about uh, the importance of imagination and imagining that world that you want to see, and and really getting into it. Like, what does it look like? What does it feel like? What does it sound like? What does it taste like? What it, you know what do, what is it like for you and that idea that like if we're not that then there's work to do right if we're not creating a place where everybody can thrive and you know where it's not just you know one kind of food right jewish food is not just bagels right it's well, <laughs> oh, right it's you know it's And it's more than that, right? There's so many Jews are all around the world, so like let's not just think that it tastes like bagels all the time, right? I mean, there's nothing wrong with bagels. I love bagels.
1: I love bagels too.
0: (laughs) Good thing we put that on the record. But (laughs) this idea that you know, if there, if if at our synagogue potlucks we don't have a spread of food, right? And I don't mean to just say food, but like. All, like that you know only we're only trying to get the 20s and 30s group in the door like no how about an intergenerational approach if we don't have an intergenerational approach we're missing something too right if we only have straight people right we're missing something we're only having one gender right and we're
1: yeah
0: missing whole groups of of the world and, and of our of our community that could roll up their sleeves too and <clears throat> their best selves to the endeavor. And we all flourish from that. And that that's exactly. really- Exactly. I love that you have that as like a, as that you know there's work to do if you're not fe- feeling, seeing, hearing, right? Hearing everybody sing, seeing- Yeah. Well, different foods, right? Like, you know that we're, there's still work to do if that. It's a really great litmus test for people because a lot of times people are like, well, I don't know what we should do. I'm like, well, You need to have a vision and then if you have the vision then work toward that right
1: yeah in in terms of like that inclusivity and everyone being there that you were talking about um i just i have this very vivid memory i have several very vivid memories from this past summer i was in um in jack in haiti in july um in um in the Laku, in the compound of, of Mamimod, who is like sort of the matriarch of um Societe nago She's the a, a high priestess, is how you would say it in English, a mambo. Um, <clears throat> and um, I remember being in the Jevo, which is one of like the most sacred parts of the Peristeel. That's the equivalent of like a temple is how you would call it um with other initiates, we were and we were gonna be brought into the 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 ceremonial space where you know the drums had already started, people were singing. There was the other the Mambos and Hungas, the uh the the priests and priestess who were there, as well as um, you know, just anyone from the community that wanted to be there was was welcomed in. And um I remember like, you know, you can literally feel the vibrations from the drums and hearing the singing Um, and knowing that, you know, that space, there was everyone from little children to old people Um, and just thinking like, yo, this is what American teenagers are missing Mm -hmm. and what they're looking for when they're like, you know, going drag racing or, you know, getting deep into drugs and alcohol right. um or you know any of the crazy stuff that i mean when i was a teen my our thing was climbing on roofs um you know just like because it's like it's all there like the 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 drama of 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 the ritual you know there's everyone's drama yeah but it's like a beautiful drama it's like a theater you know what i mean um, there's you know the 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 music the drumming there's the call and response singing and it's like not just like everyone singing like to a Beyonce song you know what I mean like these are freaking songs that like and they were passed down from ancestors you know what I mean like these are songs that people sang to like get free from. You know the the chokehold of enslavement and colonization by you know these horrible um, you know folks who were like behaving like monsters. Um, I just felt myself thinking about like how you know how much less of a like oxycontin crisis how much less of a, like, depression, anxiety, mental health crisis, Um, even, even, like, physical fitness, I mean, like, there's no, it's no joke, you're not sitting down, and I gotta give, I, I gotta give a shout out to, to the Jewish tradition, I used to love going to synagogue, because I'm like, I know we're gonna get up and stand down a lot, get up, and sit down, (laughs) like, there's gonna, and then, like, you know, and, and, Dan- also, like, the, I love the fact that, you know, the dancing, and it's like the circular dancing, very communal dancing. Um, that was something that I appreciated a lot as a kid. Um, yeah, I was like, all right, they're doing something right here.
0: Like, yeah, I mean, like, even the Shema, like, even like the watchword of our faith that has so many, like, open and closed syllables, it makes you breathe, even if you're not breathing, right? It's like, Right, you have to listen to it. The word means listen, like listen, right. Um, there's other, there's other ones. Um, like another prayer called Elohai neshama shanatata B, right, tahorahi. It's, it, it's all about the, the breath and the spirit being a pure one because it was given by God. So it's Elohai neshama shenatata bi rahi, right? The idea that you can um, breathe through. And if you say that enough times and everyone's kind of like got the reverberation of life is permeating through everyone who's in the room or, for the keeping it sacred community on the zoom call. <laughs> That's one of the downfalls about zoom is that you, <laughs> really that. you can see people doing it and you can feel it even still through, but this idea that you can, um, you can kind of manifest something in prayer in community that you could not do alone and mm. recognizing that each has its time and place. And there is still within the ceremony, individual reflective space there as well, because you don't want the community to just like engulf you and there's no space for you to have that introspective time. Mm. So it's, it's really about a balance, a balance between spoken word and the, um, the textual tradition and the musical tradition. There's a balance between like the performative music and the, the participatory music. So it's it's all balanced, like a good service in my estimation. And what I always try to do is create that balance so that there is always something that's wholly comfortable and in the service for everybody. And there's something wholly challenging for people in the ceremony as well. And that's that tension really allows people to kind of find their place and have their spirits lifted and moved in a way that's not just like coddling um, but it's also not just like interrogating like um, you know threatening so yeah i think that, all of that is, is um you're right it's like the best prayer services are that but it's also a thing where like the practice if you practice in community if you are ingrained in the community if you decide to not come to one service in the entire year, but you come and you start coming more regularly and you see the community and you understand, oh, this person was grieving the loss of their mother last week. And now, you know, I'm grieving the loss of mine. And so let's like, you know, there's connection there and there's, you know, there's an understanding that, you know, someone shares that, you know, they, they were victims of sexual assault when they were very little you know, it opens it up to allow people to realize like you can be fully who you are in this space and you're loved and accepted and, um, allowed to, allowed to claim your sacred space, Mm. like be allowing people to claim their sacred space and just lifting that up and um, and appreciating that as the part of the whole, I think is really important to understand. Mm -hmm. That's like what you were saying earlier of like, if it's not good for you, it's not good for me either, right? Like yeah. a part of me that's missing, like it's a part of us as yeah. a collective that's missing. So right, the old
1: Ubuntu I am because you are, right? Exactly. <laughs> it's just ironic that so much of this like rhetoric around, not just rhetoric, but policy around population control is emerging from the parts of the world that consume the most resources, the most inefficiently. Um, I remember um, a young person that, you know, has grown up alongside my kids who I really love, who was, was um, a very very active member at the First Parish Dorchester Youth Group um, when I was involved with it, um, talking about learning about in school that it would take like six Earths to su- to sustain a world full of americans. Wow. Um, and i'm like duh of course because uh, you know getting back to what we were talking about before we got the the recorded conversation started the white supremacy culture values and antidotes. You know that individualism, right? Yeah. Being so just per- permeating all of american society even down to like how we eat, right? Um and, you know, it, it drives me nuts as like a teacher when lunchtime rolls around and like every kid is given like their individual plate with like a, you know, disposable. a, bunch of, a <laughs> bunch of plastic packaging and it's usually not what they want to eat. A bunch of it gets thrown out.
0: Mm-hmm. It's
1: the plastic waste.
0: And I, I- could go off on the amount of waste that we create, right, Dr. Steady, Dr. Philomena studies class on yes. environmental racism teaching us about how the U.S. exports our like international quota for trash in the world to countries that don't have as much trash so that we can like send our trash there and still like make our quota like it like that's <laughs> That says so much about this culture that we have created.
1: It's. I'm so glad that you brought up that story because it's reminding me of a of a this thought that I was having as the day that I was leaving Haiti. Um, it's a beautiful, beautiful country, but um, uh, again, because of like a pattern of white supremacist international uh, policy and like brutal capitalist international support policy um, that is functioned to isolate it from the rest of the world because it, you know, in, in these enslaved people in Maroons, you know, runaways that had established their own communities um, in them, achieving their own freedom from slavery, they, you know, like struck at the, the, the like lifeblood of the economic system of all of these, you know, slaveholding quote unquote, democracies, um, including the US. And, um, and so, you know, there's not a very good waste management system there. And you can easily see trash sometimes in natural spaces, sometimes taking up like a big block um, and people walking, you know, like poor people walking around and picking through it. And it was something that really hit me hard the day that we were leaving Haiti. We, we had a long drive from Jacmel to the capital to go to the airport. And I was thinking also about how in 1820, so less than like about 15 years after Haitians won independence, um, France um, and... For just American perspective, America was one of the first places to place an economic embargo on Haiti. So even though they didn't you know, invade or wage a literal war, the, the economic war was there right from the beginning and, and continues until today. Um, but in 1820, France sent like a bunch of ships, battleships to um, the United States sorry, to to off the coast of Haiti. And they were basically like, listen, we're either going to reinvade and take over and reinstate slavery or you Haitians need to pay us like uh, reparations for the profits that we as slaveholders lost by you achieving your freedom. And that's something that they ended up doing for over a hundred years. I mean, I think it continued until the late 19, like almost until two, two, 2000, right? Almost into this century. Wow. Um, and like, I wish I could remember the, the, the sum off the top of my head, but like we're talking about a lot, a lot of money. Yeah. And I was just dreaming of like, wouldn't it be amazing if, you know, artists, um, cause again, the power of music, so powerful, you can get like so, raise so much consciousness that way. Wouldn't it be amazing if, like, uh, voodooisan, like, conscious artists got together and led, like, a consciousness-raising campaign to get everyone in Haiti to clean up the trash and put it on boats and ship it to France as a form of reparations? Like, here, y'all can either, like, take it in recognition that the cultural influence of colonization is why we have trash, right? right? Because there wasn't a pre-colonial trash problem it's all of this like you know this this economics of you know production for cons for, for you know hyper consumerism and
0: disposability. And,
1: right and like no sort of nowhere in the capitalist calculus is there like a taking into consideration of like mother earth and like the you know what I mean? yeah. yeah so yeah, that's that's a dream. You heard it here first. If it happens,
0: I wanted to um, to thank you so much for this. Where can people find you? What organizations? What things do you want people to to kind of know?
1: Um, I'm um I'm kind of like a late bloomer in terms of like navigating the the virtual world, <laughs> and 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 organizing myself in it. Um. I would definitely say for white alums of Wellesley College, come in, and and build anti-racist community among white alums um, in the white alum anti-racist training. Uh, the leadership collective of the Wellesley Racial Justice Initiative, which is the parent organization, I'll call it the Mama Organization for for a while. We recently made the decision that. Um, we all of our white volunteers should come through that program. Um so if you want to be a part of you know ending racism in community with other Wellesley alums and wielding that power of the Wellesley Alum Network in the Wellesley College community, um your first step is to, or not your first step, but an integral step is to to sign up for the White Alum Anti-Racist Training. Your w- um, <laughs> That's right, WRJI.org Thank you, see I'm not good at this they, I gotta take some notes um, I'm on Facebook right now um, people can also email me at kjd100 at gmail.com and um, I'm not trying to recruit anyone but anyone provoked by you know, what I've been talking about in terms of, of voodoo and wanting to learn more about that associated Nago, I think there's a website. You can look it up. s-o-s-y-e-t-e-n-a-g-o
0: i Just want to thank you so much for bringing your holistic view and, you know, your 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 expansive understanding and view of the world. Um, it's just such a a joy, pleasure to and honor to to talk with you whenever. Whenever we get together, and um, thank you so so much, and and I want to thank uh, our audience too for tuning in. If you have someone that you'd like to recommend that we host on the show, please contact us at keepingitsacred.com. There you can also sign up for our newsletter and stay up to date with all that we're programming, opportunities to study together live, and more. Thank you everyone for keeping it sacred. Well,
1: thank you.